Good morning, WMNFers. Welcome back to Midpoint, your mid-morning, mid-week, mid-Florida source for news and public affairs with a local perspective. As usual, I'm your host, Shelley Reback, and today is Valentine's Day, so bah humbug, enough said about that. Uh, it's also still Black History Month, but today we are going to do things a little bit differently on the show. Last week, we really didn't have enough time to take listener calls and comments. I'm sorry about that, but our time with our guests was short, and we had a lot to cover. We were joined last week by State House Minority Leader of the Democrats, Fentress Driscoll, and newly elected Democratic State House Representative Tom Keene. It was a great show with a lot of insights into how Democrats can still win elections in Florida and why it is so important that they do so to break the conservative Republicans' supermajority in the legislature. Until that happens... With Republicans controlling all of the levers of government in Florida, there's very little that Democrats can accomplish to make good laws or to stop bad laws from slithering out of Tallahassee and into our lives at home. There just aren't enough of the Democrats being sent to Tallahassee to engage in any real governing with Republicans. But still, Tom Keene got elected in Central Florida with Ventress's help and with help from other local Democrats like Congressman Maxwell Frost and State Representative Anna Escamani. And we learned that with enough money to be competitive and enough people power knocking on doors, it can be done. Ventress told us that there are five other House races in Florida that she considers pickup prospects for the Democrats in the upcoming election. They are all located in Central or South Florida, not in the Tampa Bay region. But if you care about what happens in Tallahassee, you have to care about those Central and South Florida races, even if they're not in your own backyard. So she urged us outsiders to pay attention and to do what we can with our time and treasure to bring more balance to the legislature. As always, that show is available for your listening on demand pleasure from our archives at WMNF.org slash midpoint or on the app or as a WMNF midpoint podcast from your favorite podcast provider. So today we are going to open up the phone lines to you to talk about what you want to talk about in the news, preferably but not exclusively local Florida news because that's the general assignment or the remit of the show to be British about it. And to keep us talking, I've invited my friend Madge Vassai to join us today. Madge is a lawyer and a mediator and a news junkie like me. So I know that he's going to contribute to the conversation in great detail. And I told him to bring some news stories that struck him as worthy of discussion and to come armed with his wits and wisdom because we have some smart listeners here in WMNFistan and we need to keep up. So welcome to WMNF, Madge Vasai. Thanks, Shelley. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Now, my first news story that I want to talk about is the governor's new idea that we should criminalize sleeping in public 
sleeping in any public spaces and to create homeless camps in Florida. Now, I should say that I was originally going to do today's show on this issue with some guests from the Hillsborough Homeless Initiative and from Met Min, Metropolitan Ministries Homeless Brigade, but we just couldn't put it together in time for this morning. So I may yet do the show in two weeks on Wednesday, February 28th. Because next week, February 21st, is our spring fun drive, our spring pledge drive for WMNF. Oh, yay. And I'll be hustling for your support for the privilege of keeping this hour of Midpoint every week. And if you like Midpoint and if you appreciate the shows that I bring to you, please drop a donation and designate it to Midpoint, MPW, so the WMNF Budget Police can see that we have some fans out there. Now, back to the homeless issue. So legislators last week advanced bills that would require counties to ban homeless people from sleeping in public places and instead allow them or require them maybe to stay in designated camps with security, sanitation, and access to behavioral health services, ideally. I mean, most people don't have access to behavioral health services, so I'm not sure how how much that promise is worth. But in any event, that is the, the proposal that's moving its way through the legislature. And although the governor has said that the legislation is still a work in progress, he endorsed its goal of moving homeless people off the streets. He also said he was open to assigning money to help local governments treat and house the homeless. Now, this idea has divided lawmakers and homeless advocates alike. To Democratic lawmakers and most homeless advocates, it's a clumsy and mean-spirited, one-size-fits-all approach that will lead to more arrests of homeless people. It could also run counter to federal best practices, which encourage moving them into transitional or permanent housing. The legislation does have the backing of a Texas think tank that favors tent cities over permanent housing, which opponents consider another red flag. So this is House Bill 1365 and Senate Bill 1530 that would prohibit local governments from allowing sleeping or camping on most public-owned land or property where the public has access rights. So that means parks and sidewalks and things like that. However, counties and municipalities could designate some land in a location that does not, quote, adversely and materially, close quote, affect nearby residential or commercial properties for camping and sleeping. The legislation would allow local governments to be sued and to be liable for any legal fees if they fail to comply with this law. So this is this is what's moving through the legislature right now, Madge. What do you think about this legislation? And what about you, listeners? What do you think about this legislation? Should we be arresting people for sleeping in public? Should we be putting them in camps, in homeless camps, we want to hear from you. So give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. So listeners, give us a call, email, or text us. Madge, what do you think about this legislation? Well, first of all, let's assume, first of all, let's assume best intentions. Governor DeSantis has wants to do something. 
um, which is great because up until now he's done nothing, right? And the uh, the homelessness crisis right now in not just in Florida but the rest of the country is at an all time high. Part of the reasons uh, that it's at an all time high is just because of the outrageous costs of of housing of of everything and the, and inflation. So on one hand, you know, if we're trying to just assume best intentions, okay, great, he's got an idea, uh, but we got to start working on that idea and 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 just thinking about it logically. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, we live in Florida, right? Uh, how, you know, six months out of the year, five months out of the year is hurricane season. We're going to have a tent camp, cities, tent cities uh, where we're going to end up needing to take these people out and put them in, in, you know, reinforced shelters anyway. Or FEMA trailers. I mean, even, you know, one level up from the tent city is the FEMA trailers that... Uh, you know, were supplied after Hurricane Katrina. Those are not safe in hurricane season either. No, but this so this is just you know to me uh, again. I'm just I'm just trying to be uh, as positive as I can about <laughs> this, right? He's got an idea. He wants. I, I get it. It makes some sense that that you want to um, you know take homeless people and put them in in some sort of housing, which is again more than he's done, uh, more than any Republican has really been willing to do. But the solution here is kind of like, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Uh, it, it's not a real long-term sustainable solution. And I think if it goes through, uh, it, you know, the results are going to kind of show for themselves what is, what's actually happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, considering how horrible camps were for my people, I hear the word camps and my skin crawls. And I don't trust DeSantis. I mean, you know, the next thing you know, he'll decide that since the camps and the services cost public money, that he can require the homeless in the camps to do forced labor. And then we'll see a sign that says, Arbeit macht frei, above the entrance to the homeless camps. You know, work sets you free, like they had at the entrance to Auschwitz. But to be clear, so, you know, it's interesting. You want to take him, like, you know, you want to look at it, you know, in a positive light. <laughs> I'm freaked out and looking at it in a negative light. But to be clear, there is no forced labor in these proposals. These current proposals have have no forced labor, no chain gangs for the homeless, not yet. <laughs> so does that make them okay? I mean, is it a good thing to bring homeless people out of public places and give them shelter and services? Uh, you know, what if the shelter's tents and not tiny houses and it's in the middle of Florida summer, not just hurricane season, but the heat. heat the bugs. You know, the heat, the bugs. Does that make it bad? I mean, Miami seems to think so. I mean, they uh, opposed these uh, homeless tent cities in, in, in South Florida. And uh, now we have the uh, potential to have this idea throughout the state. Yeah. So, and, and then the other side of the equation is uh, the criminalization of of the homeless actually doing this on their own and yeah. sleeping in public places, which, first of all, I don't think is going to pass, you know, constitutional muster. But it, let's say it does. Uh, whatever cost benefit that there is to these camps is definitely going to be 100 percent offset by the cost of then incarcerating the people that we arrest. Uh, it doesn't make any incarcerating and then prosecuting the people that. We arrest. Uh, you know, I, I was a former public defender. Uh, I can't tell you how many cases of just the criminalization of poverty that that I had to deal with. I'm sure that still applies today, uh, the way it applied 15 years ago. You know, just just poverty crimes like trespassing and driving without a license, and you know these kinds of things. Uh, at the end of the day, end up costing taxpayers far more money 
um, than any sort of public benefit that they have. So the solution is we got to do something that at the end of the day solves a problem rather than just slaps a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, and something that lifts people up, you know, not something that right. otherizes them and that, you know, treats them as, as uh, you know, like, vermin that have to be removed from public spaces. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that really, it just makes my skin crawl. It makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, uh, you know, um, when I think about people being banned from public spaces like that. Um, I don't know. Listeners, what do you think about this legislation? Should we be arresting people for sleeping in public and putting them in homeless camps? We, we do want to hear from you. So give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. Um, in fact, I got a couple calls here, Madge. I'm going uh, to bring into the conversation. Uh, I've got John in Newport. Richie, John, you're on the air. Hey, thanks for the show. Um, I'm not sure if it was your show or another show, but one of the callers called up and she was working on or trying to work on getting a homeless shelter. I thought she said it was like in downtown Tampa. That would be a place for homeless people where they could live, have access to job services, have access to health care and benefits and that sort of stuff. I thought that was a brilliant idea. So why don't we put more money into those things instead of putting them into camps or incarcerating people? Try to give these people a leg up instead of pushing them down. Yeah, and treat them with some dignity, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. I don't know that it was my show, but, you know, that's the other problem is you move people to a place so far away because part of the legislation says it has to be in a place that doesn't materially negatively affect uh, surrounding property owners, uh, property values. So, you know, I mean, they we have no good public transportation in Hillsborough County. Where are they going to be that they can get down to their doctors, uh, to doctor's appointments, to the hospital, yeah. to churches, to, you know, wherever they want to go if they're out in the boondocks? Well, you brought up an interesting point. Put it someplace where it wouldn't negatively affect the areas. Why don't we do that same concept like with industrial things, like don't put put plants in places that would negatively affect that area. But we do that, so that's okay. But when it comes to homeless, that's not okay. Double yeah. standard, I think. All right. All right. Well, thank you Bye. for calling in, John, from Newport, Richie. We appreciate it. Uh, okay, and I've got... Uh, I've got uh, David in Tampa, who's on the line. David, what do you think about this? Um, I could see uh, DeSantis like uh, doing like the old uh, bum fight videos where <laughs> he has homeless people, gladiator style fighting in a ring to make some money. And yeah, you know that, that I could see that being his uh, his um, his work plan. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's a book. There's a book um, that that was recently published, a fiction, but God, it feels like so close to home about uh, uh, a government making making prisoners do those gladiator fights for to earn money. You know? Um, oh right. Yeah. What's the name of it? I can't remember it right now, but it was recommended to me in the show that we did on uh, on uh, books. You know, books of two twenty. 23 at the end of the year show. Well, thanks for calling in, David. Um, I, I can't say that I like your idea, but I appreciate <laughs> your contribution to the conversation. 
I can see that happening just because DeSantis is so mean. You know, he's just such a vindictive little guy. He is. Yeah, he's so yeah. mean. He just goes after the, the homeless now are just the new trends or the new trial lawyers or there, there's yeah. going to be another public discussion about, you know, criminalizing the homeless. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling in, David. Appreciate it. And I've got Jennifer in St. Pete on the line. Jennifer, you're on the line with us. What do you think about this? Hi there. Thank you very much. Um, I was, I'm not a DeSantis fan at all, but I live in South St. Petersburg, Florida. I live in the thick of, of homelessness down here. And we have wonderful million-dollar homes on one side and lower income on the other. And the disparity is quite great. Uh, there's drug addiction. There's prostitution and a lot of homeless. Um, and I volunteered at a food pantry the last few weeks, and there is a lot of need. So I, I want to tell you something that I don't know that you're quite well aware of. Maybe you are, but there's a lot of services available to homeless, but they just don't have a car to get there or not even a bike to get there. Right. And, you know, there's many generous people in St. Petersburg, Florida, many, and lots of good organizations. Um, there's a group called I Care St. Pete. They provide food and haircuts. They're actually doing free haircuts today. Um, what I want to tell you, though, is that b- because of the homelessness and drug addiction, they wander and litter and, you know, they... They're just lost individuals, some of them, and they sleep in bus stations because they have no shelter. Well, no. you know, one of the things in this legislation, Jennifer, is they want to like centralize services in these camps so well, that that's so yeah, that I'm you know people can get you know showers and haircuts and food and you know all the right. things that you're saying are out there now. They want to centralize in these in these you know in these camps, in the places where they're going to put people. And that's why I'm saying, yes, I agree for one time that I agree with DeSantis because these people do need services. They do need shelter. They are not helping the bus stations or the the person's property where they're sleeping uh, just aimlessly. And if he is willing to use tax-funded dollars to help individuals instead of them roaming and doing all these other things that they typically have to do, um, I'm all for it. You know, if you're willing to give them services, a roof over their head, um, I'm all for it. Okay. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Appreciate your thoughts, and thanks for calling in and contributing to the conversation. Um, I've got a really... A uh, good uh, email here from Greg, who says, "Are these homeless camps going to be run as private for-profit enterprise?" Ooh. Great question, Greg. Uh, what are these idiots in Tallahassee doing, considering reducing that? Oh, we're going to talk about that too. We're going to talk about the gun uh, age too. But oh, what a great question! Are these homeless camps going to be run as private for-profit enterprises, considering? You know, the growth of the private prison industry in right. Florida. Is this another grift for DeSantis's yeah. cronies? Is, you is, know? Does DeSantis's uh, entire uh, pool of, of lobbyists and, and fundraisers, do they have like a, a investment stake in, in the 
tent building world, you know? They usually do. <laughs> they usually do. Very good question, Greg. That's something that I hope uh, some reporter out there is going to look yeah. into. Um, maybe it hasn't gotten that far along yet that we could pinpoint, you know, who would who would benefit, qui bono, you mm-hmm. know, as they say in Latin from this. Maybe it hasn't gotten that far along yet, but yeah, really, the grift is just endless Huge. with and, these people. And to, you know, to go back to Jennifer's point, that she was saying earlier, uh, which I really liked, is is you know these camps. At least it's it's something, sure. But uh, and there are other um, you know like private entities and and services out there that are not government affiliated. Uh, but the major thing that we always have to address with the homeless situation is you know addiction and mental health. And these are things that unless these homeless camps include those those services, it's not going anywhere. Right, it's- and we don't have Medicaid expansion in the state of Florida. And so a lot of these homeless people who are men, single men, uh, are not eligible for Medicaid. They're not actually eligible for the kind of services that, uh, you know, you would think that they need. Uh, so that's another problem. You know, without Medicaid expansion, this is, you know, is kind of a hollow promise to people. Right, because um, a lot of these services, these homeless folks don't even qualify for if they have pending drug addiction problems, right. which seems absurd to me. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, I've got Gary from Seminole on the air. Gary, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, <clears throat> interesting topic. Um, I've got a couple things to say about that. I've been listening to everyone speaking, and um, I think that a great deal of the time, the idea of why people are homeless is um, really not even correct. And I'm saying this to you because, excuse me, I'm 75. And due to a big string of very unfortunate circumstances, I'm now homeless. And um, I've spent some time in homeless shelters. I've even had the charity of some nice people who invited me to stay a night in their home. But I've basically been trying to find a place to put my car at night to sleep. And, um, well, you know, Gary, before you go, before you go on, let me ask you a question, because one of the things that struck me about this and the reason why I want to do a show that really, truly focuses on this with homeless advocates like uh, the Tampa Homeless Initiative people and the people mm-hmm. from Metman Homeless Brigade is because I want I, I don't know if anybody's asked the homeless how they feel about it. Do they want to go to like a centralized camp? situation where services are are centralized and essentially brought to them? Is this something that as a person who's experienced homelessness yourself, is this something that you would you would like or appreciate or not? Well, let me comment a little bit further on that so that I can answer your question. Correctly. Okay, but you got to make it quick, Gary, because we only have an hour on the show. Well, okay. I'm, I'm not going to take that long. Um, I'm highly educated. And I have been to places like DCF, and uh, the only way I can get really some help, and this is very sad, is if I'm drug addicted or a substance abuse problem or mentally ill, which I'm not. Hmm. 
and um, they have programs for people like that and housing, but not for me. Mm-hmm. But there is a tendency within the United States right now to be adopting regiments from 1933 Germany, which are going back to camps. I don't really think it's an option. Florida is loaded with money uh-huh. everywhere. Well, can you address my question? Is this sure. is this idea of a camp appealing to you as a person who's experienced homelessness? No. Okay. Well, no, that's no. what that's I think. Answer. Yeah. I mean, that's one a fundamental question that should be answered. No one's asking people in this situation what they want out of it, you know? Because the, because the time that I have spent, and it really wasn't long, <clears throat> in... Um, Homeless shelters that are opened due to contributions by churches and things like that. Yeah. I met an awful lot of people who are not educated at all and who really need some help and they really need a hand up. But the bottom line is these camps are nothing more than a way for the very well-to-do in our society to push the people away so that you don't see them, see them out of sight or, out of mind. Or, or have to look at them right i don't care i don't care how they phrase it yeah that all right exactly what they're saying right well mm-hmm. i really appreciate you calling in gary and i wish you a lot of luck thank um, you for encouraging us yeah, to do that call thank, here thanks for calling us in and giving us your perspective i appreciate it you're very best welcome. of luck yeah. to you uh okay i've got one more call on this uh, topic I'm going to take, and then we're going to move on. John from Palmetto. Okay. I'll, make, I'll go get through it. Uh, uh, what's appealing is, is the only thing that is appealing is we need a fix. We need to invest in one, not not taking uh, baby steps, because this guy, that's what he does. He likes to get people to take a bite so he can control the chew. You know, he earned his, his nickname as Jumper Cable Ron in Guantanamo. He went there to fix things, and what happened was everything was much worse. Hmm. You know, so it, he's it's it, it, it. So you think it's a band aid? It's not a real solution. Oh, it's a setup. Yeah, it's the way they go about it. That's the gentleman is there with you. He, he, you know, like we're tired, tired, tired of of all these just setups for the, for the capital to come down. He can lure somebody down to take it over, and then they they find ways of. of but hey, you know where he got the thing when he sent the, the people on the bus? You know where he got that from, don't you? I don't know what you're talking about, remember, people on the bus. Remember Sandy Friedman? Remember what Sandy Friedman did about the homeless for, for the Super Bowl? Oh, oh, what happened with that? She, Tampa history? He, she bought everybody one-way tickets for, with Greyhound. Oh, I don't, I don't know about no, that. No, I don't remember that. Well, I was that, here then. I remember Bombaleo, but yeah, but I don't well, remember that. I know that during the Republican National Convention in Tampa too, there was a big push to remove the homeless from downtown. Right. But okay. anyway, thank you, John. Thank you for calling in. Appreciate your perspective. I'm going to let you go because we're going to move on. Uh, so, Madge, have you brought us a story to talk about? I did. This kind of piggybacks on on some of the problems that we're facing with uh, uh, with homelessness and some of the root causes of it, uh, you know, inflation and, and just the cost of everything going up. And, and you know, uh, there was a story that came out in Tampa Bay Times today. It's something that I've, I've been monitoring, uh, you know, vis-a-vis the affordable housing crisis. And it's basically a story about how private equity firms um, are 
investing heavily, not just in uh, single family homes, but very specifically single family homes in the Tampa Bay area. Um, there is a, a, a private equity backed real estate investment firm called Progress Residential that owns about 85,000 homes. Single, we're 85, talking about 85,000? Single family homes. And of those, of their portfolio, about 5,500 of those are in the Tampa Bay area, in the Tri County area. Pinellas, Pasco, and Hillsborough. And, you know, the article makes a very valid point, which is uh, these companies, when they own this much property, they have the power to single-handedly raise rents across the board and dictate now the new market price uh, for single-family homes. Uh, not only that, they are coming in here and being able to outbid regular Joe Schmo folks who want their first single family home uh, because, you know, these people aren't buying luxury homes. These people are buying essentially what are starter homes, second homes, homes, you know, things that that they use very complex computer algorithms to buy that they know that they can they can capitalize on the return on their investment through increased rents. Wait, wait, wait. So they're buying them for rent, right? They're buying purely to rent and then managing them through a corporate rental agency. And then to compound the problem, make it even worse is uh, the whole basic principle of, of free market economics is for you know companies that get big to provide better services. But the ex- exact opposite is happening. They're essentially turning into you know glorified slumlords. Mm. Uh, they aren't providing the services. Their houses that fall into disrepair, things that happen, the people that live in them uh, have to call and, and get you know hardly any services. And sometimes they're you know passed off to call centers in you know India and, and overseas. Where, you know, imagine your AC breaks in Florida in the middle of summer and you want some help. You call your landlord and, you, you know, you spend two, three days going back and forth with a call center before anything happens. Uh, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. But what's occurring now is just that it's not just this one company, but really this is symptomatic of a larger problem. Where, you know, some realtors you talk to, some experts you talk to say about 25% of new home sales in the Tampa Bay area are going to investors. Wow. Uh, so so this is really affecting the local housing market in a real negative uh, in a real negative way. They can basically influence it's kind of like a monopoly kind of absolutely. you know like there needs to be some kind of antitrust sort of uh, uh, you know breakup of these companies so we can get a better handle on this housing market here. Bingo and there's nothing you know I there's nothing we can do unfortunately there's very little that we can do locally because of the state's preemption laws right so we can't even from a county level uh, or a city level municipal level we can't even address any of these problems without basically it running afoul of the Florida Constitution. So really what is again just talking solutions how do we pre- how do we prevent this obviously this you know i don't think this is a good thing to anyone other than these investors uh so you know i know that the article mentions that there are uh, uh, some bills going through uh, the 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 house and the senate in dc essentially saying look we want to ban these these entities ah. uh, and if at least the ones that are backed by private equity because we don't know where the money comes from they're not public uh you know stocks they don't have any reporting requirements yeah there's no accountability none yeah uh, and so the, the the bill which you know i don't know if it's got a chance of being passed or not essentially will ban these things outright and require all of these companies to within 10 years disgorge the uh, the properties that they own. Oh. So imagine, you know, just from a housing level, we keep talking about solutions, affordable housing here. 
and how few homes there are on the market, you know, imagine if 5,500 homes suddenly came on the market. That would, of course, drive the prices <laughs> right. down, right. you know. Uh, so we got to do something, but we're not doing, you know, anything. Yeah, wow. Well, let me ask you, listeners, what do you think about this no, this uh, fact, I guess, that 5,500 homes in the in the Tampa Bay region are owned by these private equity firms and, uh, you just know, Just one private equity what, firm. There's oh, others. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's just one. That's just one of them. Oh, right? yeah. And so it's really skewing the market. Anyway, uh, if you have some thoughts about that, give us a call. Uh, we want to hear from you. So 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-4330-885. If you personally have some experience with a, a corporate-owned property, if you're a renter of a corporate-owned property or one of these uh, private equity-owned properties, uh, let us hear from you about your experience. Good, bad, indifferent? What do you think? Um and while I uh, while I look for you to call in on that issue, I want to um, get into another story that's been really um, it just really chaps me. Um, and the other story that I cannot get enough of is the news of Ron DeSantis's private army, the State Guard. Ooh. This is like his own revolutionary guard, his own Praetorian Guard. And we're talking about an army of Floridians who are commanded only at the discretion of the governor, which is unlike the National Guard. So this State Guard, Ron DeSantis' private army, cannot be federalized like the National Guard can uh, can be uh, commanded by the president, which is, of course, what makes this so appealing to DeSantis is that, you know, he can use his private army as he sees fit and thumb his nose at federal authorities and, and the president. Um, and now they are increasing, the legislature is giving the governor even broader powers to use the state guard and to send them anywhere in the country outside Florida to do anything uh, that DeSantis thinks they should do, uh, like go to the Texas border and engage in Texas Governor Abbott's war with the federal government. I mean, why are Florida taxpayers paying for this? We are not a border state. This isn't our fight. Uh, oh, and now this force of what was supposed to be no more than 400 volunteers when it was uh, initiated or resurrected uh, because it hadn't been in existence in Florida since I think World War II. Uh, but it was supposed to be about 400 volunteers that were supposed to be charged with the mission of helping hurricane relief. But now it's increased and it's supposed to be around, 50, they've budgeted for around 1,500 men uh, who are going to be armed with police powers and with legal immunity from lawsuits in case they, you know, kill someone without cause or do something stupid. Um, this is this is just, I mean, such a to me such a dangerous uh, situation that the state legislature has given the governor this ultimate power over this private army. I mean, what do you think about this, listeners? Am I overreacting? Or is this as dangerous a precedent as I fear it is? Well, I don't think you're overreacting. <laughs> I mean, I because, you know, who's asking for this? That's the question I, I, I always sometimes ask. Who is asking for a Florida private army uh, yeah. to go to Texas? How does this help Floridians? It 
It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't help Floridians. If anything, it, it hurts Floridians. We need uh, uh, more immigrants in Florida. You know, we need... Uh, yeah, food prices are so high right. because of this the, this effort to prevent immigrants from coming to Florida. Well, anywhere, really. But, you know, we'd... we You know, who... Uh, maybe they'll put the homeless to work in the, in the food industry in Florida. I don't know. You never know. But, 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 you know, that's one of the reasons that food prices are so high is that we've got, we've got, we don't have people willing to work in the, in the agriculture of Florida, which is a huge uh, part of our economy. Yeah. Agriculture building, uh, you know, even restaurants. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, these folks, the immigration problem is, is, is granted complicated, but it's really not that complicated. It, it, the issue comes down to basically like, look, yeah, you gotta, you gotta follow the the law, the immigration laws of the United States to come in. But once you are here, and now we have given you a court date or something like that, and we know where you are. At least we have to give these people a a work permit so that they can legally work and pay taxes and contribute to the economy uh, instead of you know just trying to live in the shadows and do odd jobs and drive uninsured. I mean, this is this doesn't make any sense, right? But you know, it's even it even goes this whole private army thing goes beyond the immigration issue because you know anything that DeSantis thinks is an emergency is something that he can send his private army, armed private army, to address. So, like, what about protests on campuses? Yeah, you know, are we going to mm-hmm. see the the DeSantis Praetorian Guard, you know, uh, invading the USF campus to quell protests, uh, you know, maybe pro-Palestinian protests or anti-stop uh, woke protests. Right. I mean, our own sheriff's office basically does that. So um, it wouldn't, <laughs> yeah, be, so wouldn't why, be surprising. Why, that- <laughs> why do we need, why do we need the, the DeSantis private army for that? But it's one of the things that, you know, I worry about that they are going to, uh, you know, be used for. So um, I don't know. What do you think about that, listeners? Um, I don't know. Maybe some of you think it's a necessary and helpful thing uh, to ha- for DeSantis to have this private army. Um, I don't know. I'd like to hear from you about it. Give us a call. Tell us what you think at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. So uh, what else you got, Madge? What else should we be thinking about? You know, just just going on back to the idea of you know this private army and everything else, uh, uh, just the, the basically the the trolling of of the libs by DeSantis. Uh, one of the things that that is going through the legislature right now is a bill to uh, to ban local citizen review boards. Uh, and when I say citizen police review, police citizen review right. boards, right? And and they're only in a, in about twenty or so twenty something cities in the state. But, but they're in the largest and most blue cities, right? Exactly, exactly. So, so uh, you know, the party of small government now wants to come in as big government, of course, to to ban uh, these citizen review boards. And again, who's asking for this? It's, clearly, it's the cops. Uh, these citizens yeah. review boards. You know, we went through a whole here here in Tampa, here in Hillsborough County, it's in the city of Tampa. We had a massive uh, uh, uproar. The police union fought tooth and nail uh, to keep these citizens review boards, you know, period, not to have them. And then once they were implemented, you know, 
who got to appoint who to these citizens review boards. Yeah, and to keep them as toothless as possible. Absolutely. So they didn't have independent legal counsel. And, and let's be clear, they they're could, still pretty toothless. Yeah. I mean, even as is, the worst case scenario, all they can do is provide recommendations, you know, to the, to the legislature, or to the uh, local city councils and county commissions to do something. Uh, but, you know, now the Republicans in Tallahassee, Oh, it looks like we got a caller. Oh yeah, we got tons of callers here. The phones are blowing up. Well, now. let's let's hear from them. I'll, uh-huh. I'll finish my point later. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, Lynn has been very patient, and I apologize for keeping you on hold so long, Lynn. But Lynn from Sarasota is on the line. What do you got to say? Are you with us? Let me try this other line. Lynn, are you with us from Sarasota? Yes. Okay, you're on the air. I was appalled when I heard about the additional troops. Aside from the original troops that um, the census is amassing, but have you considered uh, the possibility that these camps could also be militarized? Militarized? Do you mean under guard? Or what do you mean? By these troops. Oh, like the troops would serve as the as the camp guards? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. something terrible to contemplate, but a possibility. Oh. He really is trying to put these troops to work. Like once you get in the camp, you cannot leave kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. 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 Good point, Lynn. Thank you for raising it. Appreciate you being so patient, too. Yeah, or on election day, right. Yeah. Like they tried to take custody of the voting machines right. in various places around the country. How All right. intimidating is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for calling in and raising those issues, Lynn. I appreciate your perspective. All right, we've got uh, a call here from uh, Mindy in Tampa. Mindy, you're on the air. Good morning, folks. Good morning. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Um, in regards to the uh, Slumlord Equity Fund. Yes. A uh, friend of mine, elderly senior citizens in uh, North Brandon, Sefner, Dover area and that, they're having to contend with those slumlord rentals where they come in when they had the money crunch back in the early 2000s and a lot of foreclosures and that. Well, the same thing is happening again because with the higher interest rates and the more debt and with the COVID and everything. Yeah, people are losing their homes. They're losing they? their homes. Yeah problem with these slumlord rentals they're buying them at auction cheap yeah um and then they're going in and they're what i've had the misfortune with some elderly friends that i was visiting they actually break into these vacant properties to take control of them after the people have moved out you know been evicted foreclosed on Uh uh-huh and then somehow they're getting with the banks and they're buying the stuff on auction. The homeowners, if they get enough money from family to buy the property back, they can't even get it because they're outbid with a phone bid. Right. The right. Rigged downtown. Right. Well, I, 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 I hear you, Mindy. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention, too, because I think that that's a point that a lot of people are 
not necessarily aware of that, you know, the the combination of everything um, right now with the higher interest rates and the absolutely unaffordable property insurance is making a lot of people lose their homes. Yeah, and the only and people that can afford, afford these places yeah. are the giant companies. You know, and they, right. they've kind of and they buy them for it. cash. They're not worried about those interest Bingo. rates. So. They're buying them like forty to seventy thousand at the auction, and then you know. When they do these flips on them and they're making them rentals, they're having, they're not doing inspections. They're doing changing the doors, the windows, drywall framing. They're even increasing in the interior, like if it has a big, you know, living great room, whatever. They make that even into an additional bedroom so they Uh, can more rent. Wow. Yeah. All right, Mindy. Thank you. I appreciate your call, but we got to move on now. Time Tell everybody is... that's a Democrat, please get out and vote and uh, put some people in office that you're here. working for the people. All right, Mindy. Thanks so much. Thanks, appreciate thank your call. You. Thanks for supporting WMNF. All right, we've got Lee from St. Pete is on the line. Lee, you're on air. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, instead of all of this legislative stuff, why don't Governor... DeSantis lead by example. And I'm not calling anybody monkeys, but the old concept is monkey see, monkey do. Lead by example. Take in some homeless in his home. I'm sure he has ample enough to take care of them. And if he set the example, others will follow. All right. Well, thank you for your call, Lee. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks for being on WMNF. Um, I've got an email here from Ziggy who wants uh, to play devil's advocate, I guess, on this issue of the uh, private equity uh, homeownership. He says, so explain exactly why BlackRock owning houses is bad. Here are some positives. Number one, people selling can get a good price without the hassle or 6% cut to real estate agents. Okay. Uh, But uh, as Mindy pointed out, Ziggy, a lot of these homes are being bought at auction. They're not being bought on the open market. There Uh, you go. And even if they are being bought on the open market, it's even if they are being bought on the open market, we're talking about all cash offers that 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 actual consumers uh, can't compete with. The problem isn't so much uh, supply side, it's demand side. Yeah, so he also says BlackRock has investors who may demand their money back and Black uh, BlackRock may be forced to dump the houses for fire sale prices benefiting buyers. Really? That Ziggy. Sounds like a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might, but 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 I I think the point is that meanwhile until that happens, they've built up this enormous equity in the property that they didn't actually pay for because they bought it at a fire sale price at a foreclosure sale. And then number three, he says, government meddling always backfires. See all the people fleeing failed communist and socialist states of Cuba, Venezuela, and back in the day, the former Eastern Bloc. Well, okay, I can't really, I don't really have an argument about that. Well, I mean, Um, there has to be some accountability, though. Yeah, one man's government meddling is another man's government solution. If you like the idea, it's meddling. If you don't like the idea, oh, it's, you know, it's big government. Right. Uh, They got to do something. Yeah. And... we have antitrust laws in place, going back to what you said, in the greater macroeconomic uh, issues we have in this, in this country, in order to prevent this anti-competitive behavior. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we're, you know, we're, we are running into a buzzsaw. 2008 was the worst time in the world for the average American consumer. 
But it was an absolute gold rush to a handful of really big corporations who came in and bought houses that are now worth, you know, six, seven, eight, ten times what they paid for them. And their ROIs on these return on investments uh, with their rental rates are through the roof. And, and at one point, if you own, you know, 5,500 homes in, in one general area and you decide to raise your rents 10% across the board, guess what? Every other home is now going up right. 10% across exactly. the board. Exactly. So, so, yeah. All right. Well, I've got, I'm going to take one more call uh, from Stephen in St. Pete. Stephen, be brief. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention the, uh, you have to understand in the country, uh, economists have even said $20 billion would solve homelessness in the U.S. The reason they're not going to do anything is real simple. The political duopoly is owned by their billionaire donors. And the donors don't care. We're about to send another $90 billion to Ukraine in an unwinnable proxy war, right? But we have the money and the assets to take care of the homeless, let alone pass universal health care, get a living wage, free college tuition. But they're not going to do it because the empire, the U.S. empire comes first. And I might add, uh, right now, between 2.5 and 3 million Americans die every year. That's roughly seven to 8,000 people a day. And you don't hear that from the corporate media and people talking about the death of people in the U.S. Okay, but Stephen, yes. I'm going to cut you off now because we're going to okay. stick to our point. But thank you for calling well, in. That is the point. Okay. No point. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to stick to our stories, but thank you. Appreciate right. you calling in. Um, all right. Well, you know, we're getting really short of time here, and we still have not had the opportunity to talk about some of these really important things, like the legislature's proposal now to repeal some of the sensible gun legislation that was passed after the Parkland shooting. They now want to make it easier for 18-year-olds to purchase rifles, and they want to get rid of the three-day waiting period to purchase a weapon in Florida. They want to get rid of it completely. And so in Florida, if you're as young as 18, you soon may be able to buy a rifle, but you won't be able to be an exotic dancer. <laughs> they want to raise the age for that to combat sex trafficking, they say. So the gun bill is House Bill 1223, and the stripper bill is House Bill 1379. If you have thoughts about those two bills, I urge you to contact your legislators as soon as possible. Um, we've also got the social media ban. Florida legislators want to ban social media access for anyone under the age of 16. Under the age of 16? What? How can that possibly be enforced? And how is that constitutional? And why did smart Democrats like Fentress Driscoll and Michelle Rayner support it? Why? I have questions. The social media proposal is House Bill uh, 1 and Senate Bill 1788, if you want to contact your legislators about that. It has already passed the House and one of two committees in the Senate. And as the legislation moves through the State House, one of the core questions raised has been whether the bad outweighs the good. Is it better to keep kids away from social media at the cost of not letting them be able to connect with others facing similar questions or problems in their lives, like the LGBTQ teen community? Um, and another, should government substitute its judgment for them and their parents or guardians about the platform's possible perils? You know, 
It's very interesting um, about that social media ban, and I, I, I have a lot of questions about it. And, uh, you know, there's so many other things. Like, we, they want to ban uh, lab-grown meat. Who's asked for that? Who, who's who's behind that? Why 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 are we putting time and effort uh, and resources into banning cultivated meat? How does this solve the property insurance crisis? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I don't know. They made an exception on that bill for scientific research, but that bill is advancing into in, in the House, uh, while at the same time they are working to kill any local efforts to protect workers from extreme heat in Florida. We have, you know, nothing that guarantees workers water breaks or uh, or rest periods during extreme heat. But, you know, we don't have time today to cover all of those topics, but we will be back with you as the legislative session goes on because there is so much more to talk about, but that's about it for us today. I want to thank so much uh, my guest, my friend, and compadre Madge Vasai for being with me today to talk about the issues of the day. Thank you for having me. And special thanks to all of you listeners who called or wrote in with your comments. We love to know you're out there and appreciate your contributions to the show. And as always, my apologies to those of you who we didn't get on air. I do my best to squeeze in as many of you as I can, but try to call in earlier next time. <laughs> Better chance of getting on the show. Uh, more thanks to my production staff here, all volunteers who keep this show on the air. Jessica Green on the soundboard and Barbara Fling who answers our phones. I'm grateful for your help. You know, almost all of the programming and engineering on WMNF is done by volunteers. You know, we all get paid in t-shirts, but we do it because we love it. Our Music programmers are fanatics, and they are all so knowledgeable about music. I learn so much from listening to them, and I get exposed to wonderful genres and performers who I could never find myself. And especially in the news department, we do it because we know just how important independent, non-commercial media is today. No algorithms control what we play or what we say on WMNF. It's all us. So if you appreciate WMNF like I do, and if you like Midpoint, please make a generous contribution and designate it to support Midpoint so the WMNF Politburo knows that you appreciate the show and continue to give me the privilege of bringing it into your ears. You can do that at WMNF.org slash donate. We take all kinds of payments and we have some very cool new swag to say thank you for your support too. Now we are out of here. Please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Bev Capshaw today. We are WMNF. Yes.